Researchers deserve to be respected, treated with civility, be still safe in the work that they're conducting on behalf of the NIH. When that doesn't happen, people don't feel safe, they don't feel comfortable, the research is affected. So what exactly is NIH doing to ensure a safe and respectful workplace wherever NIH-funded research is conducted? My name is David Kossub, and this is NIH's All About Grants. From the National Institutes of Health in Bethesda, Maryland, this is All About Grants. All right, welcome to the show. I'm glad to say that we have two of my colleagues within the NIH's Office of Extramural Research here to join us for this uh, conversation on ensuring safe and respectful workplaces. We have Dr. Patricia Valdez. She serves as the NIH Chief Research Integrity Officer and also Dr. Elise Sullivan. She also is a Research Integrity Officer here at OER and welcome you both to the show. Glad to be here. Thanks, David. Absolutely. So let's just start off. What do we mean by safe and respectful workplaces? Thanks, David. So, so by safe and respectful workplace, we're, we're referring to an environment free of harassment, discrimination, and other inappropriate behavior um, where high quality NIH funded research can occur. Um, and we, we do care deeply about the people who are engaged in NIH funded research. And we recognize that the research may, may be negatively affected in the environment if the environment's not safe and respectful. Um, we also want to note that when we refer to safety, you know, usually what you think about is physical safety from, for instance, biohazards. Um, and in this case, you know, we're referring to psychological safety. So this, this is another important um, uh, point that I want to make. And how do you actually ensure that NIH is, you know, ensuring a safe and respectful workplace? Does it, does it apply to all the research that we're supporting? So at NIH, we've had very longstanding policies that do require the recipient institutions to provide that safe and respectful work environment. So again, this means an environment that is free from harassment, free from discrimination, and free from other inappropriate conduct that could be bullying or retaliation. And additionally, we have a policy um, where institutions are actually required to report to us if someone who's a senior key personnel on an award have been removed from their position or disciplined due to work environment concerns. And so this ensures that you know, we as NIH become aware of issues in a timely manner um, if they're occurring at an institution. Yeah, and, and I'll, I'll add that um, this, this this policy, this requirement applies to all institutions receiving NH funding. Um, now, as a part of the uh, NH grants policy statement, people are, should be aware that you know the, these requirements are part of the terms and conditions of awards. Um, and of course, you know when we see concerns identified um, in in training activities or conference grants, you know that definitely is something that we pay close attention to, and we we will definitely address those very quickly. If it is interested about the converse, uh, conferences, we, we recorded another podcast on this topic, so definitely check that out if you're interested. Um, you both mentioned responsibilities. Patricia, you said terms and conditions of award. You know, can you speak to more about these responsibilities? What exactly are recipients responsible for? Yeah, so at least mentioned this previously. Um, now, effective last year, in July of 2022, um, there's now a new requirement where the, where the recipient institution must notify us of any individual identified as a PD, program director, or um, PI, principal investigator, 
guests or other senior key personnel in an NH notice of award, whether they're removed from their position or if they're otherwise disciplined due to concerns about harassment, bullying, retaliation, or hostile working conditions. Um, so in this case, the institution has to notify us within 30 days of the disciplinary action. And that notification has to be submitted through our dedicated NH harassment web form. So if the institution is reporting via this web form, there's certain information that must be included. So first they have to note that the report is from an authorized organization representative. They need to include a description of the concerns. They need to note the, what actions they've taken, including a timeline. And they also need to describe any um, anticipated impact on the NH funded awards, um, including providing grant numbers that are that, that are that have been that are involved. And since we just talked about the recipient's responsibility, same thing goes for us. What are we responsible for? Um, how do we actually actually handle these allegations? Well, we take all allegations or notifications very very seriously, um, whether they come from an institution or an individual reporting. So I'll walk through a little bit um, of the situation when an, we receive an, a report from an individual. Um, so generally, if we receive an allegation, um, we start by communicating with that individual who reported, or we refer to them as the complainant. Uh, we communicate to ascertain, you know, do we have enough detail about the concerns and who, who you know, involves. Um, we also work with them to to get explicit permission about what information we um, can share with their institution in the course of our allegation process. So sometimes this means that certain sections of their statement may be redacted, or they might want to provide an edited version that they feel more comfortable with us moving forward and sharing with that recipient institution. Um, so we do have the ability to report anonymous anonymously. Um, however, I do want to caution folks that since we don't have your contact information, if you report anonymously, you know, we can't ask those follow-up questions. And so if we receive too little detail in these, you know, sometimes we're unable to move forward. Um, so, so this is also at the you know point in time where we um, inform the complainant a little bit more about our process and what they can expect um, and a key kind of thing here that I wanted to note is that, you know, we do follow up with the institutions. We do take all of these allegations seriously, but NIH cannot take personnel or legal actions on behalf of non-NIH employees. Um, you know, folks, th these are not, um, you know, our employees. We have certain, um, you know, restrictions that, that we can take actions. And so we just want to, you know, expectation set about what NIH kind of has the purview to do and, and where we really don't. Right, and so we, we can't take, we cannot mediate employment disputes or suggest employment actions. Um, this is something that we do often um, hear. Now, I want to just stress also that you know institutions have their own processes and procedures that um, they must follow. Um, and, and so, for instance, they may require that an individual report to a certain you know portal or to a certain office. And so this is why we, you know, we strongly encourage people to also report their concerns to the institution. That could be, you know, again, whatever their institutional reporting procedures are. This could be human resources, EEO, or their Title IX coordinators. So that, that's something that um, I, I would definitely recommend to people. With all this kind of initial stuff, you're getting all this information from the from the complainant, from the person making the allegation. What's next? What do we actually do with that information? Right. So once we have enough information, the NH 
deputy director for extramural research then sends a letter to the institution. This letter usually goes to the vice president for research at the institution or someone with a similar title. Um, and so this is, this is again in response to the notification from the institution. Um, the letter will include a description of allegations or notification, as well as um, a request for information, which can include the following. So again, this is this isn't this is not, I, I mentioned earlier that it was in response to notification from the institution. This is also um, relevant for notifications that come in from individuals. So we'll want to know, you know, whether the alleged events were linked to any NIH-funded activities. We want to know the timeline and any details of any restrictions that are placed on the person of concern related to the allegation. We'll also want to know what steps has the institution taken to assure that NIH-funded research is, is, is being conducted in a safe and appropriate environment. And now, when the person of concern is a PI on an NH grant, we're going to want to know who was overseeing the NH award if the PA, if that PI was not able to act in a wholly unrestricted manner. Um, so we'll also want to know whether the institution sought prior approval from the funding institute or center IC um, for any change um, in, in PIs, um, if, if, if appropriate. And then and finally, we'll, we'll ask uh, about the institutional policies um, that address inappropriate conduct. Um, and, and so again, that, that is, we want to make sure that the institution has appropriate policies in place. Um, if, if we see any, any improvements that could be made, we will su suggest that to them. So the letter is sent, the institution is asked to respond within 30 days of receiving the letter. And so once we have the um, letter, the response back, we'll we'll do more assessments and more reviews. So we want to know, um, you know, if if, if the institution um, did investigate whether there was a finding, was was there was the allegation substantiated? Um, also, in some cases, this might be the first time that the institution's hearing about some allegation. And so in that case, we want to know, okay, what is the institution going to do now? Are they going to investigate this now? What what's the next what's the next step for them? We'll also want to know what impact, we'll, we'll want to make sure that they they're telling us what impact, um, if any, there's been on NIH research. We want also want to know if, um, if you know, any of the identified risks to research staff or students have been mitigated. We want to make sure that, you know, any trainees, for instance, that are involved in this allegation or, not or notification um, are, are safe. Um, and of course, we want to know, you know, what actions have the institution, what other actions has have the institution taken, um, or what safeguards they put in place to, uh, while while investigations ongoing, or perhaps after a finding, um, you know, how are they handling the situation at that point? Definitely seems like a iterative process, probably a little bit lengthy and pretty thorough uh, to go through this entire process, and that's uh, it's uh, a lot of stuff to go through. It sounds like. Uh, you know, you mentioned an allegation being substantiated. Um, what exactly does that mean for us? What do we do if an allegation is substantiated? So, so really our goal, our ultimate goal here is to ensure that the environment is safe and it's conducive to, you know, high quality research. So in order to make that happen, we work hand in hand with the institution to ensure that, you know, the appropriate actions, whatever they may be for the situation, are taken. And Patricia described that um, a little bit in her previous answer. And, you know, it's there, there's not one size fits all here. There's these very, you know, widely depending on the exact situation and exactly what happened. Um, but sometimes this looks like working to identify um, a replacement PI on an award, um, requiring additional monitoring or reporting to us, uh, monitoring the environment, 
sometimes also if there's a pending award, um, that can be held until some compliance issues are resolved. So again, you know, these actions widely vary depending on the exact nature of the situation, but really um, we're trying to identify how the environment can be safe and conducive to high quality research. I see, and you mentioned the replacement PI, um, you know, what about in a situation where like a PI principal investigator may up and leave and go to a different institution? You know, it, some that folks may have heard called passing the harasser. What are we actually doing to stop that? Yeah, thanks. That's something that we're very concerned about. Um, and so in these types of situations where this could potentially happen, you know, we, we always want to re reiterate to institutions that the grants belong to institutions, not to individuals. Um, again, this is not that person's grant that they can take with them to the new institution. The grant belongs to the institution. And institutions can keep the award. They can identify a new PI and, and, and continue the work. Um, or they could also bilaterally terminate the award. And, and I want to mention the one of the one of the issues that we've seen is um, when the institution is investigating, and the person then moves to the new new institution at that point before the investigation is complete. Sometimes the institutions will then decide to to drop the investigation. So then the person goes on and moves on to the new institution. He has no findings. He or her has no findings against them. Um, and, and, you know, the new institution has no idea and the behavior then continues. And so we, we want to make sure that institutions are notifying us as soon as possible, especially if there are concerns involving active awards, because the last thing we want to happen is to have this person move to the new, new institution, take, take an NH award with them and continue the behavior. So we, we are definitely working with institutions to, to stop this behavior. Good to hear that we're doing something about it. Um, I want to jump back to something that was mentioned earlier about the web form and potentially even um, making anonymous notifications. Can you all speak more about this notification process and you know what what can be what could be done in that way? Sure, sure. We have we have several channels where individual individuals can inform us of their concerns. So we have a web form, we have an email address, and we also have a phone number. Um, so so I would suggest if you just you know do do a search for NH harassment web form on the web, you know you, you should be able to find that information pretty easily. Um, now the web form in particular allows individuals to report a concern completely anonymously, as Elise just went over. And I also want to just emphasize that even if you do disclose your identity when you report to us, we're not going to pass that information along to the institution unless you provide us explicit permission. Um, we do our best to protect anonymity. However, you know, we, we cannot guarantee that it can be completely protected. For instance, in some cases, the institution will, will require that somebody, um, the individual, you know, report directly to them. Um, sometimes if they're conducting an investigation, they'll want to hear, you know, your side of the story. Um, and and again, and I just want to again remind you that you know institutions this is the same web form that the institutions use to notify us of the, of, um, of 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 findings. And so in that case, you know when you go to the web form, you'll see two buttons. One button is for the institution, and the other button is for the individual. So if you click on the button for individual, it'll take you to the proper site where you can enter the information that's required. And on the subject of information exchange, uh, you know, it's what information might we be, might we be giving back to the recipient institution as a part of our, you know, the work that we're doing here, and 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 similarly to someone who may have made a complaint. So, 
like we discussed, we, we do work with the complainant on exactly what information and level of detail can be passed along to the institution. Um, so, you know, this may mean you know, providing some redactions or providing, you know, kind of an alternate version to share with the institution, depending on, um, you know, how concerned the individual is with remaining anonymous. Um, you know, we have some complainants who, you know, put their name there and they say, I'm, you know, the I've already reported to my institution. They know exactly who I am. I have no problem with sharing my name. Um, but there's other um, folks who would prefer to try and remain, remain completely anonymous. So um, we, we seek explicit permission to share um, anything that we pass along. Um, so David, regarding your question on what we can then kind of disclose to the complainant um, throughout the course of our process, there's really no summary report or resolution document that we can share. And this is really due to privacy and confidentiality concerns. So we absolutely understand that it can be very unsatisfying to you know, submit a complaint with us and then not hear back from us on what the resolution is. Um, however, just know that we are doing everything in our power to address each and every allegation that comes our way. Um, and even if you don't hear back from us, it doesn't, you know, it doesn't mean that we're not um, actively pursuing that. Um, I do want to note, though, if you know you've you've submitted a complaint to us and the issue is getting worse, or there's additional um, information that you think that you know we should be aware of, if the situation you know is persisting or or, or something of that nature, um, we do encourage people to contact us again via the web form or the email address. Um, to let us know that information. So just because we can't reach back out to you doesn't mean you're, you know, you you can't reach back out to us with um, information if it's an evolving situation. Thank you for that. And you know, this sounds like a lot of work that goes into doing a lot of these, you know, reviewing these allegations. And how often does this happen? How many are we? How many allegations are we seeing? Have there been any changes in recent years? <clears throat> Sorry, excuse me. Uh, yes, so so we started collecting, or NIH started collecting the data centrally um, at, in around 2018. Um, and since then, we've seen a steady rise in the allegation reports and notifications. Um, for example, last year, we handled about 185 allegations of harassment or related concerns from the extramural community. Um, and this data is also available on our website. I'll, I'll note that. I also wanted to just to, to know, you know, that that increase has been happening, you know, over the years for many reasons. Um, you know, in 2019, we started to see a large increase in the numbers, um, and, and that may have large, largely been due to the due to the implementation of the, the web form and the new um, harassment mailbox that we we put up. So we started to hear more from the community, and I think you know the there's been a general increase due to the awareness building um, and also the new reporting requirements that I talked about earlier um, last year that went in, went into place for institutions. And those data that are on the website, they they're actually updated at least a couple of times a year. So check them out for those who are interested in seeing these numbers. Um, well, Patricia, at least this has been great to hear more about the process of how we're how NIH is aiming to ensure a safe and respectful workplace. Before we go, I always like to leave the opportunity for our guests to, to share any final thoughts, any last minute things that they want to make sure that they get across to the listener. And, and I turn the floor over. Yeah, thank you so much for having us, David. I, I mean, this is such an important conversation to have, and I hope that this information is useful um, to folks out there. So, I'll, I mean, in closing, I'll just say that, again, our ultimate goal is to ensure a safe work environment 
that's conducive to high quality research. So if there are concerns, please do notify us. Um, we really, we really do take action and we really need to know what's going on out there at the institutions. Um, I know that David, you mentioned resources on our website, including data. We also have you know, information on our process, uh, links for finding help, and some important definitions in terms of, you know, what the definitions of, um, of harassment and whatnot. So if you search uh, NH harassment, our website should be the first one that comes up. And, and I'll add that, you know, we're, we're looking at a culture change. And as everyone knows, you know, this takes time. Um, but but I think we have seen some promising improvements, even in just the past several years. So we do um, remain optimistic that, you know, we, we can make a difference. So thank you. Absolutely. Elise and Patricia, I, I truly appreciate this opportunity to hear how we're attempting to make a culture change and start to, you know, improve and encourage more safe and respectful workplaces out there. Uh, just to reiterate, you know, there are a variety of resources that are available on our website, so definitely come check them out. And, you know, if you would like to make a notification to us about a concern you may have, please do so. We want to hear them. This has been David Kossop with NIH's All About Grants. Thank you.